0: Jared's right, it is a maze up here. Turn, to your, turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy. We are going through the book of 2 Timothy together as a church, and uh, so you guys we continue through it verse by verse. It's what we believe. We believe that God's Word has power and that God's Word is important, and God's Word speaks to every area of our life, and why would we want to skip a specific part or a section? We go verse by verse, and so this morning we're in verse chapter 1, verse 15, through chapter 2, verse 13, and I'll start reading in just a minute. Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Chris, I'm one of the elders here at Mercy Hill Church, and uh, Brad does most of the preaching, and every once in a while, Jared and I get a, get a chance to come up and, and teach, and uh, we're... Thankful for these, the opportunities that we have. 2 uh, Timothy chapter, chapter 1, verse 15 is where we're going to be. Before I read, let me ask you a question. Have you ever eaten a dish that someone made, maybe in a restaurant, that seemed to be missing a main ingredient, that seemed to be missing something? So when you put it in your mouth, you thought, it's okay but there's just something missing. Maybe it's garlic, maybe it's butter, maybe it's salt. Who knows, but there's, there's something missing. Friday night, Jamie and I went out for dinner. We went to a steakhouse, and we both ordered steaks. And I, of course, ordered french fries with my steak. And Jamie ordered vegetables. Well, her vegetables came out, but they, they forgot one main ingredient. They forgot to cook the vegetables, So on her plate was raw squash and raw broccoli and raw carrots. And they just completely missed the main ingredient. That is to cook the vegetables. It happens. Um, I read this week, though, that uh, enduring hardship and enduring suffering in the lives of Christians is a necessary ingredient for the Christian life. So enduring suffering is a necessary ingredient of the Christian life. And so I ask you this morning, um, do you believe that? Do you believe that suffering is a necessary ingredient? And I would say, and I would add to that a little bit and say, that how we walk through suffering is a necessary ingredient to the Christian life. In other words, how we Suffer? how we, uh, where is our faith at? Where, what are our action steps? How do we resolve the situations that we're in? Because to be honest, we're all going to suffer. That's what the Bible tells us. It's going to happen. And so I would say how we live within the suffering, how we act, how we live it out is a key ingredient to the Christian life. See, so often though, hardships come, Sufferings come into our life, and what we do is we, we avoid it. We ignore it. We, we uh, push it aside. We, we close our eyes and hope that, that it'll disappear. But the truth is that that doesn't change anything, and it matters how you and I walk out the circumstances of our lives. Some of us are walking around with with, with a bland, tasteless life, a bland, tasteless story of what God is doing in our lives, a bland, tasteless Christian life because, because we're avoiding the suffering. We're not accepting the suffering. We're not trying to live out in light of the suffering, in light of who Jesus is, in light of what God has done in our life, in light of, of who God is and the circumstances around us. We ignore it. And our lives don't have flavor. Our lives don't have uh, robustness. People don't look at us and say, man, they're different. Last week, Brad said, apart from challenge, we don't change. He said, apart from challenge, we don't change. And that challenge comes in, form, in many forms. And maybe somebody in your life speaking to you boldly and clearly and speaking truth to you and saying, that's not Okay. It may be the circumstance which you're living, the, the suffering, the persecution, or, or whatever for your faith, but that challenge brings change. So we live in a day and age where people don't like Christians. Now, around us here in the South, around us, that may be a little hard to swallow. But the reality is, nobody likes the goody-two-shoes. Even when I was in school, nobody liked the guy who did everything right. So we as believers in this world are going to suffer. It's going to happen. But we have to be encouraged, because apart from challenge, we don't change. Apart from challenge, we don't grow. Now, some of us believe that verbally. We'll say it out loud. I believe that. Yes, apart from challenge, suffering's gonna happen, but apart from that challenge, we're not gonna grow. And, and I believe that it's important. I believe that, that it's, it's, it's part of, it's a necessary ingredient, but our lives are, are quite opposite. Our lives are quite different. We, we say it because the Bible says so, but, but when it comes, we, we struggle by, with, with being faithful. We struggle with believing that God is in control and that he is great. We struggle with with believing that this has a purpose in my life. But Jesus calls us to live lives of, of flavor. He uses things like, an analogy like, we're the salt of the earth, light of the world. You can't ignore those two things. When you taste something that's salty, you can't ignore it. It's there. And when you see something bright, you can't ignore it. This is what Jesus has called us to. So this, this morning, the reality of, of we are going to suffer needs to be in our heads. It needs to be in our hearts. We are going to suffer as, as Christians. This world is not perfect. This world is broken. It is the opposite of how God planned it to be. Therefore, things are not going to go the way we plan. Things are not going to go perfect in harmony as we think they should. So keep that in your mind this morning. And some of you may be in the middle of suffering right now. You may be in the middle of hardships right now. And my prayer this morning is that you would be encouraged this morning in the midst of the the suffering and the hardships that you're in. My prayer is that all of us would be encouraged. And so this morning as we read, starting in verse 15 of chapter 1, I want us to, to keep an ear open and open our hearts to receive the word this morning that that one, there's power in this word, that this is God's words to us this morning. But two, to keep an eye out for, for three things, and there's a lot in here. There's a lot. The struggle I had this week was finding and bringing it down so that it was simple for us this morning. Listening for three things that we can do to live faithful lives within the midst of suffering. And that's where we're headed. So let's read verse 15 of chapter 1. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus." You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also? Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. And if we deny him, he also will reign or deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So real quick, Let me give you a quick background, kind of set the scene. Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is Paul's spiritual son. He uses terms like my beloved child in chapter 1, verse 2. In chapter chapter 2, verse 1, he calls him my child. Timothy was important to Paul. He looked to him as a a son. This letter is his last letter that that Paul writes. Um, Paul sees his death in the future coming A close or coming near to him. He's imprisoned. And unlike other imprisonments where he's imprisoned in in house arrest, or um, you know, he can come and go, but he's got to have somebody with him, he's in a dungeon somewhere in Rome. And he's in Rome under the the, the rule of Nero, which as Brad has talked about the last few weeks. This is not a good place to be if you're a believer. Nero is is crazy, Nero is evil, Nero um, Stories of how awful Nero treated Christians. So this is Paul writing this letter, his last letter, to Timothy. Now in Paul's first letter to Timothy, Paul was addressing some false teachers or false teachings that was arising in the church of Ephesus. Timothy is the, is the elder or the pastor at the church at Ephesus. And he was, he was confronting some teachings that was coming up inside the church. Paul, or some say that Timothy was, was, a, was a timid guy, like he lacked confidence. He lacked um, assurity. He, he, he was a timid man. So, so Paul is writing this letter from suffering, from imprisonment, to a man who has experienced or is experiencing the struggles and, of, the, of suffering within the church at Ephesus and around the city of Ephesus in, in Asia Minor. So this, this letter is filled with encouragement, it's filled with direction, and it's filled with, with words that we can cling to as Christians, as believers, this morning. Verse 15 through 18, as I read, just helps build Paul's case that things aren't great where he is. He says that people, verse 15, that, that all have abandoned him. Now we know because he mentions necessary Onocephorus, that that not all. So so is it hyperbole? We're not sure, but people have abandoned Paul. They, they've said he's 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 imprisoned now for the gospel, he's suffering for the gospel, and we're we're getting away from him. But he has that one hot one highlight, talking about Onocephorus, his his um, he refreshed Paul, he came and sought Paul out. He sets the scene though that that in his chains he is suffering. And in his chains, people are leaving him, and he's got one bright spot. So for us this morning, here are three things that we can do in light of suffering. Paul is suffering where he is. Timothy is suffering where he is. As, as, as Brad said last week, this isn't uh, they created this suffering on their own by being obnoxious. They're suffering for the gospel. They're suffering for their, their stance in believing that the gospel is true and is right. So let's look at the first thing we can do in the midst of suffering is remember grace and truth. Remember grace and truth. Chapter 2 verse 1 and 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So It begins by you then. In other words, Paul is saying, knowing my circumstances, knowing where I'm at, knowing the suffering, you then be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It does not say be strengthened by your abilities, by your resolve, by your discipline, by how good you can be. It does not say be strengthened by, by your circumstances. If only your circumstances would get a little better, then I would feel better. It does not say be strengthened by others' opinions, people speaking into your life and saying this is what you should do or should not do. It does not say be strengthened by how much knowledge you have or have collected. It says be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what is Grace is unmerited favor. We did not deserve the love that Jesus showed us through dying on the cross, taking our sin, and giving us his righteousness. We did not deserve that. In fact, we deserved the opposite. We deserve to be hung on the cross where Jesus was hung. Our sin has separated us from God. There is nothing we can do to change that. But yet God stepped out of heaven and sent Jesus, God stepped out of perfection and harmony and came to this broken world to rescue us, to show us grace, to give us something we did not deserve. So how in the world can we be strengthened by that? Because kind of, it's kind of an out here, maybe an abstract thought. How can we be strengthened by grace? Well, grace, it frees us from believing that we must work harder that we must perform better, that we must speak clearer, that we must take on more. Grace frees us from believing that we have to hide or be ashamed of our suffering or hardships. See, I'm afraid that a lot of us, and maybe not in this room, maybe we're all not doing this, maybe we're all really good, but I'm afraid that a lot of us live life like it's a masquerade party. And what I mean by that is, you go to a masquerade party, you have a mascot, nobody really knows who you are, they don't really know the details of your life, they could tell who, maybe by the shape of your body, or how tall you are, or shorter you are, they might know who you are, but really, you're just hiding. And you're hiding the details of your life by having a mask on. And a lot of us walk around and live this life as if it's a, if it's a masquerade party. As if, as if we don't need to share... We need to put on a good face, a good good front. Everything's good. Intimacy is not important. Community is not important. Being truthful is not important. Just presenting a a picture of what you want to be, that's that's important. But the reality is the gospel frees us from believing that we have to hide. Grace frees us from that belief. And then we don't have to be ashamed of the suffering that were the living out. Paul was not ashamed. He says he is not ashamed several times. The people abandoned him because they were ashamed, but he was not ashamed. It frees us from grace, frees us from believing that God is punishing us, that somehow the circumstances of my life are, is a punishment. Jesus was punished on the cross so that you would not be punished. You're not being punished in the circumstances of your life. God is not punishing you. God loves you. He adores you. He gave everything for you. Jesus gave his life. Grace frees us from thinking that we are alone. You're not alone. We are not alone in this. Jesus suffered for us so that he could be with us. And grace frees us from believing that Jesus is not enough. See that? That gives us strength. Jesus suffered and endured so that we can endure. He endured the cross for us so that we can endure the suffering here on earth, the hardships that we face. And His strength is enough. His love is enough. And He is enough. Grace strengthens this fakeness that we want to display, this this fake wholeness that that a lot of times we want to portray to others. People see right through that. But grace strengthens us and allows us to be who we are, broken people. We can be strengthened in our suffering and hardships because Jesus is with us. Remember grace and remember truth. Verse two, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. For by grace you have been saved, not by works. Paul in Ephesians writes this to the church at Ephesus, for by grace you have been saved, not by works, not by how hard you can work, by how hard you can do things, how well you can do it. In verse 8 of chapter 1, Paul says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. This. Teach this. Paul says later in chapter 2, teach my gospel. This is my gospel. Teach it to other men. Teach it to faithful men. Now here's the reality. Uh, you really ha- you haven't truly learned something unless you, until you teach it. Think about that for a minute. You haven't truly learned something until, until you've, you've taught it. You have to teach it. You have to share it with somebody. And Paul is saying, this gospel that you've experienced, Timothy, this strength that you are getting from grace, teach it, share it, proclaim it, and teach it to faithful men. Entrust it to other men, and then who can teach it to others. You got four generations of discipleship here. Just a picture of four generations. You have, you have Jesus to Paul, Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men and faithful men to others. This what's happening here, and in the midst of suffering, remember grace and remember the call to teach. The truths, so that you can learn it and experience it and live it and share it. Later on in, 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 this, in our text, it says that the word of God is not bound. Exclamation point. It's a, it's a prime, it's 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 important, it's necessary, and we must share it. So, first of all, in the midst of suffering and hardships in our lives, remember grace and remember truth, and share the truth. Because in sharing, we gain knowledge. In sharing, we gain truth. Knowledge isn't meant to just sit up here. Knowledge is meant to share and to live out. There is strength in remembering what Jesus has done. And there is strength remembering that which leads to proclamation. Secondly, not only remember grace and truth, but we must have a single-minded devotion. Chapter 2, starting in verse 3. Now these might be familiar to you. These three examples that Paul gives. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So what Paul gives us is three, like, mini parables like Jesus would teach. And at the end of this section, he says, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. In other words, ponder what I'm saying. Think on these things. So we have three ministry examples. First of all, we have the soldier. Verse four: Soldier, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Single-minded devotion in the soldier has a single-minded focus. His focus is to please or to do as this commanding officer says. Nothing else. That's it. He does not desert. He does not quit. He does not get distracted. He is focused on his orders. And he does them as commanded. Now the temptation in, in the middle of suffering for you and I is to quit. Is to fall for the lie that, that this isn't worth it. That this life has, has, it's just not worth it. There's not enough Joy, there's not enough reward in it, and and I'm gonna quit because because I can't handle it anymore. Now, you can ask Brad, he's heard those words out of my mouth because it's hard. This life is hard. Living as, as Christians is difficult. The life that Jesus calls us to is difficult. That's why we need a single-minded devotion. We need to be focused in on what God has called us to. Focused in on who Jesus is. The second temptation is to become distracted by other things. By stuff, by uh, appointments, or how many things can we get involved with and then we're super busy. Distracted by, by religion even. Listen to this quote by Donald Miller. Donald Miller wrote um, several books. One of them you might know, Blue Like Jazz. And he, he says this I believe the greatest trick of the devil is not to get us into some sort of evil, but rather have us wasting time. I believe that, I'm going to read it again. I believe that the greatest trick of the devil is not to get us into some sort of evil, but rather have us wasting time. This is why the devil tries so hard to get Christians to be. Religious. If, we can, if he can sink a man's mind into habit, he will prevent his heart from engaging God. If our minds are on habit and duty and what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to walk through things and, and what am I going to do now and, and, and walk through the, 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 the ones and zeros, so to speak, of, of, of religion, we're distracted from engaging God. An example Paul gives is a good soldier. He's devoted and he is focused. He's not distracted. He has a single-minded devotion. The next example that Paul gives in verse 5 is an athlete. Athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. We all know athletes. We watch athletes on TV. We see what they do, the focus that they have. Tom Brady just won the Super Bowl and he is known for how crazy of, an, of, a, of a, um, a diet he has, what he puts into his body. We see. But, but these athletes are focused on competing according to the rules. They're focused on running the race to finish. They're focused on training to run the race. His focus is to compete well and according to the rules. Now, Christ, Jesus wants us to strive every day. We have to put in the work. We have to to put in the labor that's necessary. But if a person gives up halfway through the race, he's lost his honor. He's lost the race. Even though he started out bravely even though he started out with, with direction and intention and even maybe a single-minded devotion. This is why we have to come back and make sure that within the suffering and within our lives that we have a single-minded devotion. Are we focused in on what Jesus has done? Are we focused in on Jesus? Thirdly, Paul says, the farmer, It is the, verse six, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the, the first share of the crops, now, when we read this, this doesn't have a big effect on us as it did in the readers in Paul's time. Because farming here is, is corporate a lot, and maybe we have gardens, but, but really, we don't know a lot of people who are farmers. It's not really in, in our lives as much. But the reality is that a farmer gets up dark early, early 30, and goes to bed dark late. He's up bright and early works in the field, works his tail off because he has a single-minded focus and he has a single-minded devotion. If I don't work hard, if I don't work to get these crops up, my family doesn't eat. And if my family doesn't eat, then we don't live. The farmer is focused, hardworking farmer. He's up early, he works late, and he's preparing for the crops to come even when they're not there. We must have a single minded devotion because it matters how you and I walk through things. And it matters how we suffer. The truth is that our circumstances aren't going to change, but how we deal with those circumstances changes. We have the example of an athlete and a soldier and a farmer to have single-minded devotion. This single-minded devotion is what, it was what propels Christians to stand in the midst of persecution. Martyrs of our brothers and sisters who have been killed for the name of Jesus throughout history had a single-minded devotion. And that's what kept them from quitting. It is why Paul can say, in verse 8 of chapter 1, share in suffering. Verse 12, I am not ashamed of the suffering. In other places throughout Paul's letters. How many in here have read Screwtape Letters? Screwtape Letters is a, is a no, we'll call it a novel. It's a story that, that uh, C.S. Lewis wrote, and it's told from the perspective of a, of a demon writing to his pupil. And so, I need to set this up because the pronouns are going to confuse us. But I want you to hear this quote from Screwtape Letters, okay? So he, this is a demon writing to his pupil demon, all right? So he being God, here. He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. And if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased even with their stumbles. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but intending to do our enemy's will, that'd be God, God's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. Let me read that again. He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand, and if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased when, with their stumbles. Because they have to learn how to walk. God is okay with their stumbles. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but intending to have the single-minded devotion, intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished. Within that, our suffering, within those hardships, we feel like God is not near. God is nowhere to be seen. And they ask, why he has been forsaken? Why has God done this to me? And that person still obeys. What a beautiful picture. Single-minded devotion. Being to the point of, of Is God even here? Is he even around? I don't see him. I don't hear him. He can't be here and still obeying and still being faithful. This is what God calls us to. And it's in those moments of suffering. It is in those moments of hardship that the Lord is near. It is in those moments of suffering that that he is still Lord and he is still God. And it is those moments of suffering that we find out how far we really are from arriving, from maturity, from finally reaching where God doesn't need to work anymore, that perfection. And Jesus is there to meet us in the middle of it. So two encouragements quickly from these. One, that we're not alone, that you are not alone. See, we have a soldier we have an athlete and we have a farmer. And the temptation is to say, which one am I? Am I the athlete? Maybe one day I was. Am I the soldier? Am I resolved? But here's the thing. See, a, a soldier, back in, in Paul's time, the soldiers were placed on, the, on outposts far on the, on the outskirts of the empire, right? And usually very hostile areas, So constantly being attacked, constantly having to struggle, constantly having the the desires to quit. Like, this isn't worth it. Why am I here? Why am I doing this? And yet, drills, practices, people, commanding officers, people alongside them to keep people from deserting. There were people with the soldiers to keep him going. Athlete. Yes, he trains on his own, and yes, what he puts into his body is, is his decision, but he has people with him. Think of athletes in your life now, moms and dads, right? We have, little, we have guys we have to take to practice. We have to support them. We have to encourage them. We have friends who are athletes that we, we cheer on and we support. There's people around the athlete, and the former, the same thing, as the family who works with him, who labors with him. You are not alone. And you're not alone because Jesus is with you too. Jesus is with with you in the midst of suffering and struggle. Thirdly, so not only only do we remember grace and truth, and not only must we have a single-minded devotion, but thirdly, we must place our confidence in Jesus. Verse 8 of chapter 2. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now, there's a ton in this section, and I'm not going to unpack everything. But the reality is that that within suffering and within those struggles, we must place our confidence in Jesus. It's as if Paul is saying, remember the Jesus who I preached in my gospel. Remember Jesus, because the power is his. The work is his. The day is even His. And remember, Timothy, the Word of God is not bound. It is, nothing can contain it. It is moving. I I may be imprisoned, but because of the power of the Word of God, I am content to suffer. My, My circumstances do not change the power and the impact of God's Word. And for us this morning, our circumstances do not change power. We may think so, we may feel like it does, but the reality is, it does not. It changes nothing, and we can be confident in Jesus. We can endure, as the word, as Paul says, therefore, I endure everything. Take comfort and have confidence in Jesus. Now, the temptation, again, within suffering is here to have confidence and put our confidence and our dependence in ourselves, right? Like we, we want to say, okay, here's our circumstances and, and I'm strong enough and I can, I can do this. And I can accomplish this because, because I, I'm strong enough. But that's, that's, the, that's the opposite. That's the antithesis of, of the gospel. The gospel says we can't. The gospel says we can't do anything to help our circumstances. We can't do anything to rescue us, to change our hearts. We can't do anything to to fix what's around us. The world is broken. But the gospel and and grace gives us strength to endure. Truth gives us strength to endure. Single-minded devotion gives us strength to endure. We must have confidence in Jesus and fight the temptation to put our confidence somewhere else. We must have confidence in what he has accomplished for us on the cross. The gospel. Jesus suffered for us. Took our sin. We must have confidence in what he calls us to. He calls us to die to ourselves. I think think Brad said this weeks ago about having a coffee cup that says... Die to yourself. We probably don't have that. Or a magnet on our fridge. We probably don't have that. But that's what Jesus calls us to. To die to this life. To live one life that is his. Not two different lives. Not one life at church and a gathering around people and a life separate. Or not a life covered by a mask. He calls us to live one life. To die to ourselves. You know, we celebrate... uh, 4th of July, Independence Day, for the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And those men who signed the Declaration of Independence, you know, they're like heroes to some of us. We're like, those guys were, were awesome. But do you realize that these guys who signed the Declaration of Independence signed their death warrants? That's basically what they were doing. They were putting their names on a piece of paper that said, these are the guys that need to be killed. And we need to, England needed to seek out these men because they put their names on this paper and we need to kill them. They were signing their lives over because declaring independence from England was far more important than their lives. They were willing to give up their life. And as for you and I, in the middle of suffering, in the middle of hardship, how you walk through it is far more important than your circumstances or comforts. Far more important. Because we can place our confidence in Jesus and that He is still at work, even though we don't think so, even though we don't feel it. We can have confidence in who He is. Verse 13 says If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. That is who God is. He is faithful, it's His character. You and I can be loving, we can be kind, but we're not kind and loving in the inside. That's not who we are. But that's who God is, and God is faithful. God is faithful, it's, it's who he is, and we can have confidence in who he is. So that when we're in the midst of God not, feeling like God is not around, we can have confidence to know that he is still faithful. The word says so. And he cannot deny himself. He cannot do something that is counter who he is. So question this morning. What does your life taste like? Does it taste like those vegetables that were plopped down on Jamie's plate that weren't cooked? Vegetables are great, but they really need butter and softened a little bit and maybe some salt What does your life taste like? Does it it have this this robust flavor to it? Because how you walk things out matters. Is every bite a party in your mouth? Are you faithfully living in the midst of the suffering that you're encountering or will encounter? Remember grace and truth have a single minded devotion and have confidence in Jesus because your dish your life doesn't need to miss an ingredient a main ingredient it doesn't need to be bland because Jesus is enough and what he has done is enough for you and I to endure to the end for you and I to struggle and to get through it because his strength is enough. Let's pray. God, we come to you now acknowledging that, that we can't do anything good apart from you. That we need you in us and through us to work And that, God, we can be resolved to be faithful and we can be resolved to be good, but the reality is that we can't without your help. We need your help. We need your your power and your strength in us to do so. So help us in the middle of hardships, in the middle of suffering, we often feel like you're not around, you're not near. Be near to us. You're bigger than our circumstances and you're enough. Be pleased with our obedience. Be pleased with our repentance and our confession this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.